0: Hi, this is Debbie Taylor williams Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. This is an exciting, exciting chapter. One thing I realized as I was reading through here was while we are looking at yes, and I think you have it on your overhead. that. Paul exhorts the believers in Macedonia and Greece. He sails to Troas and preaches and raises Eutychus, and he sails to Miletus where he exhorts the Ephesian elders. What we see beyond just the words on this page, if we were to put a template down, we would be able to see the spiritual life of Paul and how his life is a demonstration of the Spirit and the Spirit's power, just like Jesus promised we would have. We see Paul using his gift, his spiritual gift of exhortation. We see Paul in the body of Christ with others. We see Paul preaching in the power of the Spirit. We see Paul having what I refer to as sacred flexibility. We see him spiritually leading. We see him working, being a tent maker, while at the same time we know that he is also writing to other churches. We see him being spiritual light. We see him. Spiritually being bound to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, his discussion of him is suffering. Everything about this chapter is a reflection of how we can live in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and in power. Let's begin by looking at, as I mentioned, this very first section and how Paul's life is a demonstration. And where we see the Holy Spirit specifically referred to, although he's referred to throughout the whole passage. In verse 22, he's bound in spirit. In verse 23, he says the Holy Spirit testifies to him. In verse 23, he says the Holy Spirit says. And in verse 28, he said the Holy Spirit made you overseers, to shepherd. In verses 1 through 16, We're going to see three important reminders, and you should have your listening guide so you can follow along. But let's start with verse 1 and read there. It says, After the word uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. We'll continue reading the other verses in just a moment, but I want to point out this word exhortation. Your Bible in the NIV or some other translation may have the word comfort, but the word exhortation is a more literal translation from the original Greek, and it's the word pericleo, and it means to come alongside someone to comfort, encourage, instruct, and most importantly, challenge to apply what they know. Challenge to apply what they know. I don't know about you, but for me, I oftentimes know a lot more about how I'm supposed to act and think and do than I apply. Could any of you say that that is true of you? And so this word where it says that Paul is giving them much exhortation, he is saying I have been with you. I've been teaching you. But now you must apply it. You must apply it. This is how you apply it. Now do it. Apply what you're hearing. And there are three important reminders that Paul is going to give us as we continue. And I'll go ahead and read now and then we'll look at these reminders. It says in verse 3 that there was a plot against him, it says, after he had spent the three months there. And he learned of this plot as he was about to set sail for Syria, so he decided to return through Macedonia instead. Verse 4, he was accompanied by Sopitar of Berea, the son of Pharis, and by Aristarchus. And he has this whole listing of people that he's accompanied by that were from the different districts, the different cities that he had been to says in verse 5 that they had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So we see Luke has now joined them. Verse 6, we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven days. We are getting very specifics from Luke. He is documenting everything very accurately with detail. And this gives us that much more confidence in the word, in the scriptures that we're reading. Verse 7 says, on the first day of the week, When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep, and as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, do not be afraid. His life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted there. Let's stop for just a moment, because not only do we see that first insight that we are to be guided by the Spirit of Christ, we see that the way we are guided by the Spirit of Christ is to know His Word. And Paul knew from the teachings of Jesus that if he was rejected in a city, that he could shake the dust from his feet and go on to the next city. The reason Paul was able to decide not to set sail but instead to travel by foot was because he had heard that there was a plot for him probably at that seashore where he would have been getting on the boat. It was not time for him to die. He knew that Jesus had told him that he had yet to go to Jerusalem and to go to Rome. So the more we know this word, then the more we are able to apply it, the more we are able to act on it. The second thing that's important here is that in verse 9, where it says that Paul kept on talking, this is in the Greek translation, what it means. He was giving a message. This was a spirit-filled message from the Lord. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. This word message means continuous speaking. It's a discourse. And we have examples of this in Peter preaching in Acts two forty. that first sermon that Peter got up and gave. It was a longer discourse. We have Jesus's sermon on the mount in Matthew 5 through 7, and these were longer discourses. It's a different word that's used when we look in in verse 11, where it says he talked with them. So there are two distinctions, and I believe that this is telling us and helping us understand that in the body of Christ, in the church, it is important that we gather to hear spirit-filled messages and discourses and sermons like we hear from Peter and Jesus and Paul. But it's also important that we have time of talking with And that's what you do in your discussion groups. That's what you do in your home groups and your life groups. Both are important because when they were gathered here, and this was a larger group, that they shared communion. And Jesus said that when you're gathered to do this in remembrance of him. So I hope if there are any of you out there and you've decided you can just be a TV watcher, or you decide that your two or three home group is sufficient enough, yes, those are both wonderful to watch preachers and sermons on TV, and it's wonderful to have your home and life groups that there is much value in hearing these Spirit-anointed lessons. There's one other thing that's important to note in verse 9, where it says he kept on talking, and he was overcome by sleep. As Paul kept on talking, Eutychus was overcome by sleep and fell down. We have a good example here of number one parents or grandparents or whoever it was that took this young Uticus. He was probably around the age of eight to 14 years old. And how valuable that somebody loved him enough to say, you're going, you're coming to hear this sermon. You're coming to hear this missionary. And I hope that we can be like that. The fact that he fell asleep was not only probably the Hour of the night, but also the lamps burned, many lamps. They burned the oxygen in the room. And so the fact that he fell asleep is not an indication that Paul's sermon was boring. There's no way you will convince me that Paul's sermon was boring, or as this particular translation says, that he Paul dragged on and on. As a matter of fact, Paul's later is going to exhort us to guard against false teaching, to guard against words that come into the church. I was given this Bible at a Christian conference, a good Christian conference, and I'm sure it was given in good faith. But it does translate what Paul did as Paul's sermon dragged on and on. That has a negative connotation to it, and I know In my heart of hearts, that as we look at this original translation, that that was not what is implied in Acts 20, verse 9. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to see a miracle. And although it is just one verse, verse 10, Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When it says here that he embraced him, it means that he held him tight. And I couldn't keep from thinking about Jesus' words to the disciples when he got close to them in John. It tells us after his resurrection, and he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And that is the gift that the Lord gives every single one of us when we come to him in faith. We come to him and profess him as Lord, we confess our sins. And he breathes the Holy Spirit. He breathes not just the physical life like Paul did as a demonstration of the Spirit and the Lord being able to give life, but he also breathes eternal life into us, the eternal Holy Spirit, so we will never die. Now, as we look at this second reminder, we see that Christ did create us to share life and ministry together. We also see, in addition, how we are able to use our spiritual gift. And we see these gifts being exercised. But the third reminder in verses 13 through 16, we see again that it says, we going ahead of the ships set sail for Asus intending from there to take Paul on board, for he had arranged it intending himself to go by land, And when he met us at Exos, we took him on board, sailing from there. We arrived the following day, opposite Cleus, and the next day we crossed over to Samos. Then the following day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. And I emphasized all those different words because we are reminded of how Proverbs tells us that we make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. And we do have to go ahead and make plans, don't we? But we also have to do what I refer to, and you see that on your listening guide, is that while we plan, intend, decide, and hurry along through our days, we must humbly remember, if possible, and sacred flexibility as I call it. It's not just being a flexible person who can go one direction or the other. You don't care. You're so free. It's that your spirit is attuned to the spirit of the Lord and you are able as the spirit guides you, nudges you in accordance with his word, you are able to go in the direction, in the timing that the Lord has for you. I like one thing that I read by John Wesley. He said, though I am always in haste, I am never in a hurry because I never undertake any more work than I can get through with perfect calmness of spirit. Isn't that a good word? Yes, there is an urgency that we feel during our days and like Paul in a hurry to accomplish some things. And that is very legitimate because Jesus said in John 9, 4, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent to me. Night is coming, for no one can work. In Ephesians five fifteen through 16, Paul wrote to these Ephesians, and he said, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. And so it's normal for a Christian to feel an urgency and a a desire to be passionately doing all she or he can for the kingdom. I feel that. I know you do, too. That's why you're here. That's why you're studying. That's why you're ministering. It's why you're praying. It's why you're evangelizing. It's why you're sharing the word with other people. But at the same time, we must have that sacred flexibility as Jesus directs our steps. Now, in verses 17 through 38, Paul summarizes his ministry, the Spirit's warning to him, and instructions to the Ephesian elders in his farewell address. I titled these on your listening guide for you as Spirit-infused keys for how to live, lead, and finish well, finish your life well finish your ministry well we have all kinds of keys don't we keys to communication keys to lose weight keys for a successful life all these different kinds of keys that we can find but right here we have spirit infused keys and i hope that you will enjoy them as much as i was blessed and enjoyed looking at them and saying yes lord yes lord I want to see these, and Paul, I want to apply what I'm learning. And the first spiritual key is in verses 17 through 19. And Paul said, when the Ephesian elders had come to him, and although it is written specifically to the elders, I, I'm able to take home points, and I hope that you are too. I think they're great points for anyone. In verse 18, he says, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. So our first key, spirit infused key, is serve the Lord with all humility. And I have found myself guilty there where it wasn't with all humility. I felt more, woe is me for all I am doing. Have you ever felt that way? So we see the example of Paul and we can learn from him. There's a second key that he gives us in verses 20 and 27. When I see a repetition of words in a passage very closely together, we can't help but take note of it. And in both verse 20 and 27, he refers to the importance of not shrinking or not shrinking back. In verse 20, he said how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, there is something very important right here for us to note. He says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything profitable. There's a tendency in me to want to teach and say and encourage with the things that are profitable for you that are encouraging, that sound like a blessing, that lift spirits. But Paul, we see how he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And sometimes that includes hard words. And then he said in verse 21, another tip that we are giving, given in verses 21 and 24, he said, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. To repent means to have that change of mind that results in a change of behavior, and faith is the opposite of rebellion. It's the opposite of going your own way. It's trusting Jesus and His ways, yielding your life, choices to Him, trusting He knows best. So we see that we may not be able to testify of some things. We may not know all the apologetics and ways to answer questions about our faith, but we can solemnly testify. I turned to the Lord when I kept trying to be good and I couldn't be. And I knew there was only one who was good, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I repented. I turned from trying to be good in myself. And I turned to Him. And He has never disappointed or let me down you and I can do like Paul and solemnly testify to our experience of repentance and our experience of faith. Will you do that? I know you will. Our fourth spiritually infused key we are given in verses 22 through 27. And Paul writes and he says, Behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly, We have this word solemnly testified that those terms used again, just as Paul had solemnly testified, he said the Holy Spirit had solemnly testified to him in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry. Which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Do you keep seeing the solemn testimony? This is serious. What the Holy Spirit is testifying to Paul. It is serious. He wants him to know though the future. And in like manner, Paul is saying, I am solemnly testifying to you. Because Paul, through the Holy Spirit, wants us to know our eternal future apart from Jesus Christ saving us. So there's a seriousness, this word solemn. We notice in this passage that Paul says, I see my life, and this means I consider my life as of no account as dear to himself. He had said that he was bound by the Spirit to continue on. Tony Evans described this experience of Paul being bound in the Spirit. He says, it's like Paul had a vice grip. This is a vice grip, and and it can be closed very, very tightly on something. So it holds that object in place and then can be moved around or worked with. A vice grip. And Tony Evans said, this is describing when Paul says he's bound in spirit, in the Holy Spirit. He he, the Holy Spirit, has a vice grip on Paul. So that he's confirming his purpose for you and he's urging you or Paul in a particular direction. Here's the question Does Does God have a vice grip on your soul? Does God the Holy Spirit have a vice grip on you? Because I brought this as a demonstration for us. There are some of us who worship and we praise the Lord, but we want—if this were to be God—we want God to simply go along with us. We want Jesus to go along with us with whatever we're doing. We love Him and we want Him there. We trust His protection and safety, watching over us. But this is saying something different. This isn't saying Paul has a vice grip on. It is saying that the Lord has a vice grip on Paul. And so we see and we wonder, and I have to ask myself as i wonder if you might ask yourself, if this is God, does he have a vice grip on your soul so that whatever he wants you to do, whatever he wants me to do, to go here, to speak here, to spend time with him, whatever it may be, that that vice grip is on our soul like it is on Paul's soul. That is a question that we need to answer because Paul had that question answered and it didn't matter if it meant the next city he was going to go to. He was once again going to be in bonds. When we continue looking, we are going to find that Paul is going to exhort the elders about how they can spiritually lead those who are in their care. You may not have a church you lead, probably don't. You may not have perhaps a Bible study group that you lead, but most of us have family. We have children, we have grandchildren, we have a discussion group, we have a Sunday school class, we have a group of friends that we are influential and that, that particular group of friends, again, this is written to the elders, but we can take principles from it. Paul says in verse 25, after saying, Behold, I know that all of you, among all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I did not shrink. Here we have this word again from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And then he begins the instructions, the spiritual keys. In verse 28, he says, and I think this is so significant that the very first thing he says to these elders, is, be on guard for yourself. Be on guard for yourself. Why? It's like when we get on an airplane and the stewardess says, if needed, make sure if the oxygen mask drops, to put the oxygen on you first and then your child. Because adults, if you pass out, then you can't take care of that child. And and so if the leader isn't right with the Lord, then we cannot help and protect those who are in our sphere of influence. So he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. And so the first key we want to shepherd the people that God has given us and we want to begin by being on guard for ourselves and second we want to be on guard for our flock. This word guard means watch out, be attentive to, in the sense of caring for, providing for. And so we need to be attentive to, if we've got children at home, perhaps even spouses or loved ones, to be attentive to what is being watched, what's being read, what's being heard, what philosophies are being ad- adopted. The third one is keep in mind the value of the ones you shepherd. In verse 28, verse 28, Paul says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is a reminder that we are saved by blood money. We are saved by blood money, cross blood. So those in your discussion group, your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones, the value of their life is just unspeakable because it was purchased with the blood of Christ. The fourth thing that we see is that we are to be alert to the enemy and to evil. In verse 31, Paul writes, and he says, therefore, be on the alert. Remember that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Be on the alert. He, and I, want to go back to verse 29 and verse 30 because his reason for saying be on the alert is he said know that after my departure savage wolves not just wolves savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own cells will arise speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after them i encourage you if you are a leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, if you have people that you're inviting to come in and serve with you, have them agree to your statement of faith. Have them agree to you believe in Jesus, is the Son of God and the Holy Spirit and the return of Christ. Know what people are teaching and speaking who are under your watch because It's very easy for somebody to come in and join a church or stand up and teach. But if they are not teaching from this word and from an accurate translation, then what is described in these verses is happening right under Your nose. So we see the important to be alert to the enemy and to evil. And of course, Paul writes in in Ephesians six and gives this warning, and Peter writes this warning is given over and over and over. But the more we know the Word, which is the sword of the Spirit, described in Ephesians six eighteen, the more we know this Word, and the more we are able to discern error. This is not a doctrinal issue that I pointed out this morning that refers to Paul's sermon dragging on and on, but it is an implication that it was, he was not preaching in the power and the energy and the excitement of the Holy Spirit, which is an insult as far as I'm concerned to this passage because Paul was the greatest missionary. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. It is infused with Spirit and with power. And so even the implication... So I believe those are subtle ways, implications that are in error, that are the way that the enemy creeps in, certainly not walking through the door and saying Jesus isn't Christ. It's implications. Be discerning. Psalm 119.66 tells us, John 22.24, it tells us that Jesus entrusted himself to no one because he knew what was in the heart of man. So we need to be careful that we do not blindly entrust ourselves to anyone. And then in 32, that he said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul knew that them having Christ's words, them having God's word, it would build them up. And he was confident it was not him. It was his word that was going to build them up and give them that grace. Six, it's important to be an example of working heartily. Paul says that he worked hard, and the reason, so that we can not only not be a drain on somebody else, but so that we can minister to the weak, we can give from the outpouring. And then he quotes some of Jesus' words that he would have heard probably from asking Peter and John and Luke and saying, tell me everything he said, everything he said, because John wrote and he said, and uh, the Gospel of John 21-25, that Jesus' words could not be contained in all the volumes because of everything he said. So this word here, it is more blessed to give than to receive Were words that Jesus would have spoken. And Paul remembered those words being passed along. Finally, we recognize here, not just here, but in other passages, verse 36, and we see it not only in Paul, but in Jesus and others. It says that when he had said all these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. there is something that I think is very important if your knees are able to to kneel down in the presence of God because He is our king. This is a position of worshipping him, and when you have people gathered together to kneel in our Lord's presence and to worship Him and to pray and to intercede then there is a reverence. If we're not able to kneel, which some of you are not able to, it's not your fault, it's not a lack of your reverence, simply you cannot kneel, then I know what you do is you bow your hearts and ask... 20, as we conclude, the people are weeping aloud, and they embraced Paul, and they kissed him, and, and they didn't want him to go, and they knew they would never see his face again. They were accommodate, accompanying him to the ship, and we see the importance of friends once again, like we saw those who went with him on this missionary trip, this last leg of the trip, the importance of fellowship, the importance of having friends, the importance of having you care and and the love and the fellowship of the Spirit that is given, but why, why were they that intense over Paul? Let me share with you some reasons that I wrote down why they might have such love for him, that Paul had shown them the way to eternal life, to turn from those empty idols. He had shown them the way of their souls being saved. How could you not love someone who showed you that? He showed them how they could receive forgiveness because of him being there and sharing and teaching and exhorting. They found freedom from sins that they'd been in bondage to. They had freedom from the temporal pleasures of the orgies that they would have in the temples as a sign of worship that brought nothing but probably shame and disgrace and disease. They from Paul heard about the Holy Spirit and his presence and his power. They now had joy. They had hope. They had intimacy with their creator, peace with God and glory residing within their very bodies and spirits. So yes, of course, as Paul starts taking those steps to leave, he would have just been Overcome with emotions of being so grateful to him for what he had done. And so as we look at applying this valuable, valuable chapter in Acts 20, the first question is, have you been born again? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Do you know for sure that your soul is secured in heaven? Second, is the Holy Spirit the driving force are you Are you bound in spirit? Is he the one driving your life? Do you follow his plans even when they are inconvenient instead of your intentions? Are you part of a body of believers who gather to hear the Lord's message, who share communion and use the spiritual gift He has given you? Do you walk by the Spirit with an if possible plans but most importantly? With sacred flexibility, because you are listening to the Spirit. And no matter what comes your way, you're able to be in tune with Him and go in the direction that He guides you. Are you shining brightly, not shrinking back? Because Paul said, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And as Jesus tells us in Matthew, that we are to shine and let our light shine before others so they will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We are definitely not called by Jesus to be shrinkers. We're called to shine. Are you shining brightly? Do you hold on to your life because it's dear to you? Or have you given your life to Jesus? And finally, do you follow the Spirit's leading, even when you have to say goodbye? even when what is ahead is difficult. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your grace. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.DebbieTaylorWilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.